You know, it's such a blessing that people will get up early and come out here and practice just to help us worship. And then the people up top who never get any kudos because they're hiding, the support team up there. Thank you guys and gals. You're awesome. And I know they can't hear it, but right now there's a bunch of people taking care of your children. <laughs> so thank you all for all the service you do. It's a real blessing to see people serving around here. All right. Uh, for those of you who are new, welcome to Book of Life Community Church. We have been going through the prophets and the kings. So if you've ever read through your Bible, there's some books called 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. It's basically the bulk of Israel's history in those books. And we're going through it, trying to give you an overview of what's going on in the Bible. And so I've got this chart up here for you. Let's take a look real quick. And you know, ever since we've put up the second projector, I've got this problem. I don't know where to point. <laughs> so if you're on this side of the sanctuary, you're all right. But if you're on this side, of the, I'm sorry. I just don't know how to point over here. So what I need is a mirror that splits it in two. So just bear with me and follow along the best you can. I'm going back and forth on this chart. You'll notice the heading here. We've got Judah in the south and Israel in the north. After King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into two countries. The one in the north was called Israel, and the one in the south was called Judah. Same people, children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but two separate kingdoms. So I'll be talking about the south, Judah, and the north, Israel. And we've been going through some of the kings. We got to a king named Ahaziah, who was evil, and he was killed by the next king of Israel named Jehu. Jehu killed the current king of Israel, Joram, and the king of Judah as God's judgment on these men because they were evil. So Jehu became the king of Israel after he killed Ahaziah. Well, Ahaziah, his throne was taken by his mother, Athaliah. They weren't supposed to have queens in Israel. But she wanted to make sure nobody else could take her throne from her, so she killed all the royal children. Nice grandma, huh? Come here, snookums, let me kill you. I mean, how, what kind of grandmother does that sort of thing? But the aunts of Joash snuck him out and hid him for seven years. So after Joash hit the age of seven, the priest, Jehoiada, who had been taking care of him, put him on the throne and killed Athaliah. And now Joash is the king of Judah. And he was a good king as long as Jehoiada was there to instruct him and guide him. And after Jehoiada died, then he, he crashed. He, he, he put, placed all of his, his, what do you, you know, his bets on one horse, Jehoiada. Without Jehoiada, he was nothing. So he started out good and he became bad. Well, while he was king of Judah, a guy named Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, was king of Israel and he was evil. You notice these words? Evil, 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 evil. Even the good ones were good slash evil. It was just not good to be had at this time. So Jehoahaz dies um, and then Jehoash becomes king of Israel while Amaziah becomes king of Judah. He was Joash's son, and just like his dad, he followed the Lord for a while, and then he turned his back on the Lord. So good slash evil. Jehoash was used by God to actually punish Judah. They went to war with one another. He captured Amaziah, looted the temple, and then we don't hear about him in the Bible anymore. His son, Jeroboam II, 
who is also evil, is an extremely significant person in Israel's history. From a spiritual perspective, he was a godless, evil man. But from a political perspective, he was a powerful king that helped Israel expand, grow, and become wealthy and, and uh, powerful. Ca captured a bunch of territory, fought off the bad guys. So hi secular history looks at him as a great king. But spiritually, he was an evil man. And of course, we look at things primarily from a spiritual perspective. Here's what the Bible says about Jeroboam. Just a small piece. You can go home and read the rest if you want. Jeroboam, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So this is Jeroboam number two. The first king of Israel, his name was Jeroboam. He's named after him. So in books and stuff, they'll just call this guy Jeroboam too. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. And the Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering, and there was no help for them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. All right, this is going to be hard, but can we go back, Jim, to the slide of the chart again, if you can find it? Let me show you something. I told you about these people, and I told you that these guys were evil, but what I didn't tell you about Jehoahaz was even though he was evil and the children of Israel had turned their backs on God, when they were desperate, they cried out to God for help. And God didn't say, oh, you're evil, you worship idols, I'm not going to help you, you're getting what you deserve, which they were. He said, okay, I'll help. Now we're to Jeroboam, and he's leading Israel into idol worship, and they're evil, and God uses him to bless Israel. This is what jumped out to me in these stories. We've got a couple evil kings that are featured, and God blesses them. God blesses people. He's in that business. God loves people, even evil people. God loves evil people, which just blows my mind. He, they're worshiping idols. They're spitting in his face, and they say, oh, would you help us? And he goes, yeah. He doesn't say, yeah, if, if you'll repent. Yeah, if you'll stop worshiping idols. He just says, man, I'm sick of watching you suffer. I'll help. Jesus says this, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So you're a farmer and you've got 20 acres and you live next door to another farmer. He's got 20 acres. You're a good God-fearing farmer. He's an evil farmer, hates God and hates you. And he gets the same rain you get. And he gets the same sun that you get to make his crops grow, and his crops do just as well, maybe even better than yours. Let me tell you, that's not an accident that he just happens to live close so he catches some of your rain. Jesus says he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God intentionally blesses people. Why do a bunch of evil people have a lot of money and good jobs? Because God gives it to them. It's not because they're particularly brilliant. God blesses them. You don't have to raise your hand because you might feel bad after I tell you why you're raising your hand. So I'm giving you a heads up, but I'm going to raise mine. 
How many of you have ever challenged, even in your heart, why does God bless evil people? Why do evil people have it so good? Yeah, a lot of you. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> I wouldn't have felt bad because I knew I was going to be the honest one up front. That's not fair. It's a bad guy. He shouldn't be blessed. Well, wait a minute. God blesses them because he loves them. So what's wrong with me for not liking them being blessed? You see what I'm saying? God's loving them. I'm not. Somebody's wrong. And I'm thinking it's not God. And so every time now that I get annoyed with a, somebody being prosperous who definitely doesn't deserve it, I've got to have a soul check because God's loving them. Jesus had all sorts of followers, but he had 12 really close disciples. And he called them apostles because he sent them out to do his work. They were his ambassadors. But of the 12, he was really close to three, Peter, James, and John. John said some things about Jesus that nobody else said. Listen to one of the things that John wrote. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So that brings me to what Jesus said about loving our enemies. It wasn't just, I want you to do these things because they're good and right. It's more like, I want you to do the very things that me and my father have done forever. I want you to love people just like we do. So here's what Jesus said. Love your enemies. I wanted to read the rest, but I couldn't go any further. That's enough. <laughs> like, you don't see that on bumper stickers. That's, that's heavy right there. When you put it with a bunch of other stuff, it kind of loses its punch. Love your, en love your enemies. Love your Who does that? Well, God does that. And he wants us to do that. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So after I gave this message yesterday to Beth Sar Shalom, somebody came up and said, you know what, that was an amazing sermon, but... I saw this movie that really drove that point home. If you could have played that clip, it would have been better. He said, tell me about the clip. i got a service tomorrow. <laughs> Let's take a look. <laughs> Caleb, if I were to ask you why you're so frustrated with Catherine, what would you say? She's stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. Has she thanked you for anything you've done the last 20 days? No. And you'd think after I wash the car, I've changed the oil, do the dishes, clean the house, that she would try to show me a little bit of gratitude. But she doesn't. In fact, when I come home, she makes me feel like I'm, like I'm an enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home, Dad. That is what really ticks me off. Dad, for the last three weeks, I have been over backwards for her. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers, which she threw away. I have taken her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. 
I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? We get that. Go ahead and stop that, please. Yeah, we get that. What'd you say? No, turn that off. Thanks. <laughs> no, turn it off, really. <laughs> I'm trying, Steve, I'm trying. Thank you. We, we get that. Okay, we'll reach out once, but when somebody smacks our hand, hey, man, I tried, right? I tried. They weren't having it. I'm not doing it anymore. That's how we feel. And it's particularly difficult in a close relationship. That, by the way, is from the movie Fireproof. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to get it. It's, a, it's an amazing movie. So Israel worshipped idols, and yet God still loved them. God still reached out to them. This guy was upset that his wife threw away the flowers he gave her. They were worshipping false gods when God redeemed them. And yet, what does he do? They cry out to him for help, and he says, okay. He is so patient, so kind. Today's lesson is entitled, How to Treat Mean People. So how do we treat mean people? As loving as possible. Two words you've got to emphasize in that. Loving and possible. Because I recognize we're not God. But we got to try. That's the point. We got to try harder. We got to try more. As loving as God loves people. So Jesus didn't just leave it at that, though. He gave some, some specifics, He gave some details. He said, If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. This isn't about self defense. You know, nobody likes to get smacked in the face. But it doesn't hurt. I mean, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to knock you out. It's not going to harm you permanently. A slap in the face is an insult. That's the only reason anybody ever gets slapped. Because if you really wanted to hurt them, you'd slap them with a two-by-four. <laughs> right? You slap somebody as an insult. So Jesus says, if somebody slaps you, turn them the other cheek. What are your options? Or you could slap them back with a two-by-four, and end the conversation. Jesus said, no, it's, it's only an insult. Guys, man up. So what? Take it. It's not that big a deal. It's not worth the fight that'll come from it if you take it to the next level. That's what Jesus is saying. Love is more important than the insult up, up against your face. The indignity that you suffer by being slapped and allowing somebody to get away with it doesn't even compare to the value of love over and against it. That's what Jesus was saying. And by the way, he wasn't just talking. He practiced what he preached. Listen, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus said, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. 
And when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Is this the way you deal with God in human flesh? I might be. No. This is God in human flesh. He's upset that the high priest is insulted, the maggot's insulted over against the king of kings. And what does the king of kings do? If I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. Tell me what I said was wrong, but if I'm telling you the truth, why did you strike me? That's his response. That's how he wants us to be. It's better to receive a petty slap than to fight over it. Self-control, patience, forgiveness. So how do we treat mean people? Self-control, patience, forgiveness. And he gave even more specific details. He said if you lend something to somebody, it's better to let them keep it than to fight to get it back. I know. It's my lawnmower. Give it back. How much do you want to fight over that lawnmower? What's that lawnmower really worth? 350 bucks. And your relationship to your neighbor? And the testimony it's going to cause in court? And the shattered relationship? There's a guy. He's a world, world famous. He's this country's foremost self-defense firearms person. He's a retired police officer. He trains people how to use firearms for self-defense, writes books on the topic. Let me tell you what this guy does. He keeps, last I heard, $20, maybe it's more now with inflation, in his front pocket in case he's ever mugged so he can give him the 20 bucks, send the man on his way. But the man's got a gun. He could pop a cap in him. Yes, he could. But he'd rather just give him 20 bucks than shoot him. That's cheap. That 20 bucks is cheap. Over against somebody's life. Over and against having to go to court and hiring a lawyer. And maybe the jury sees you as guilty and maybe it Just give the man a couple bucks. It's worth it. How much is the relationship worth? How much is the trouble worth? Sometimes it's just easier to take the slap. You know, you've got my lawnmower... Can I borrow it? <laughs> you got to cut my lawn. I don't know. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just telling you, Jesus wants us to emphasize love above these things. How many of you have heard this? I'm not even going to ask you if you said it because I've already embarrassed you once today. And I, I'm about at my limit. But I'm going to put up my hand. <laughs> it's not the money. It's the principle of the thing. Yeah. Don't ever say that again. I'm telling myself this. Thank you for listening in. Because the principle of the thing is love. And by all means, if it ain't the money, then don't worry about it. The principle should be love. You know, justice is important. Fairness is important. And I'm not saying it's not. But love is more important. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you've got to err, err on the side of love. That's what Jesus is telling us. I'm not telling you this because I don't have any right to tell you this. I'm a fellow pilgrim. I'm just the messenger. And I hate this sermon as much as you do. <laughs> if you lend something to someone, it's better to let them keep it than to fight to get it back. Here's exactly what he said. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. 
said we shouldn't fight to get things, we shouldn't fight to keep things. If someone sues you to take your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Wow. Man, I'm going to sue you. You don't have to sue me. What do you want? I'll give it to you. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. I'd love to see the face of the person who you tell that to. I just hope I'm not the one that has to say it. This is hard. Three words. This is hard. Three words. This is love. Love is hard. Three words. And by the way, you already know it because we give much more patience to our family members than everybody else. You know? How many times do you call the cops on your noisy neighbors? How many times the people in your house you told, shut up, you're being too loud. Turn down the TV. Turn down your stereo. Why are you vacuuming at 3 in the morning? <laughs> but we don't call the cops on them. We deal with it. Because we're family. Yes, we are. We're all family. And that's what God would have us know. It's hard. Yes, I know that. But it's right. And yes, I know that too. Well, I'm sure this is going to happen. Right after services, somebody's going to come up, Steve, but so-and-so did this to me. You think I should? Don't come up and ask me that. Because I don't know. I I'm not the arbiter. I don't know, you know, where do you draw the line. But if we're asking where to join the line, draw the line, I think we're already missing the point. It's not about how hard a slap do I have to turn the other? What if they slap me twice? Here's it. Here's the deal. It's not about the rules. It's about the principle. The principle is pursue love above all things. That's the principle. So if you come up and say, should I this, should I that, should I then I don't know. I'm just going to tell you pursue love above all things. So a guy comes up to me this week, and he asks for his book back. And I'm like, I don't think I have his book. He said, no, I lent it to you. Well, okay, well, if I don't have it, I'll just buy you a new one. And he said, no, you don't want to say that. I said, what, is it a $50 book? He said, no, it's a $100 book. I said, that's okay. If you gave me your book, I'm, I'll buy you a new book. I don't care. Because to me, I'm not going to have him thinking I've got his book and never gave it back. And he was like, no, no, don't do that, because the same worked for him. He was doing all the love thing. I was doing all the love thing. And that's how it's supposed to work. By the way, I'm getting him his book. Fortunately, I found it for a lot less than 100 bucks. <laughs> but I was in for 100 bucks. You know, I wasn't happy about it. But by golly, if I lost his book, I owe it to him. Well, what if I didn't lose his book? I don't know. I don't care. If he thinks I lost his book, I'm getting him a new book. Because it's not worth it. Now, if you come up afterwards and ask me to buy you a book, it ain't happening. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> but just to give you an idea how this thing can work, you know, Maybe I wouldn't have been so gracious if you said, hey, man, I loaned you a car, but I was in for a book. You know, the, here's, here's the Jesus bar. And I limbo in right about here. And I don't know, you know, the basement, it's right about here. And I'm working at it. Okay, so I'm at the 100 book club right now. You know, a couple years ago, I would have book, buy your own stinking book. And a few years before that, I was like, get out of my face. So I've made some progress, but the bar's pretty high. I don't want to send you home feeling bad because you're not at the bar. It's enough that we see the bar and want to emulate it. That's the thing about belief. Oh, you're not God. You're never going to be as good as Jesus. But that's what we should be striving for, always striving for love. 
people asked him the greatest commandment of all, and you know what he said, love God with all your heart and love your fellow man as much as you love yourself. That's what he said. Okay, what's the third most important? I'll shoot for that one. That's what he wants. So what do we do? You visit a new church, and you ask for their belief statement. You know, we believe in this, and we, and which is good to do. Don't get me wrong. You go to a college, a Bible college, and you want to see what they believe. You don't want to sit under their teaching if it's a bunch of heresy. That's good to do. But where does love come in? If the belief statement is 19 articles, love should be number one. But it's not. I've never seen it. But it should be. Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I'm sure when he said that, his disciples' ears perked up because there was another famous rabbi around those days. His name was Hillel. And he had a saying too, don't do to others what you don't want others to do to you. Hillel's statement was in the negative, don't do. Jesus' statement was in the positive, do. If somebody's mean to you, and you don't yell at them and ignore them for the rest of your life, that's better than the alternative of hitting them with a two-by-four. But Jesus doesn't say, if somebody's mean to you, ignore them and get them out of your life. He says, bless them. It's a do thing. It's not an avoidance thing. I prefer the avoidance route, personally. I told you, I'm sub-basement. I'm on the elevator, but right now it's under service. <laughs> Working my way up. <laughs> Do to others as you'd have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Let's take out the word sinners. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even bad guys love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even bad people do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Anybody will do that to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Ah, I think I get it now. Da, 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 da. Give to anyone who asks, and if he takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Lend without expecting to be repaid. Ah. So based on this, I've got this principle. I don't lend money. If somebody needs money, I'll give it to them. But I won't give it as a loan. If I have it, I'll give it to them. If I don't have it or if it too, cuts too deep, I'll just say, no, I'm sorry, I don't have it. Oh, man, just come on, give me 50 bucks. I'll give it to you next week. Nope. I'll give you 50 bucks. Consider it an investment in your future. Do well. No, no, man, I don't want charity. I don't give loans, man. I'm not a bank. You want a loan, go to the bank. I got 50 bucks. It's yours. Take it or leave it. But I don't want you to give it back. Now, if that man or woman gives it back to me, great. But if they don't, I've already written it off. I don't care. I had a friend came up to me. He said just yesterday, he said, I had some people in my life, I loaned them money to get rid of them because I knew if I gave it to them, I'd never see them again. I said, man, that was brilliant. It was like the $20 in the pocket. But see, that's the thing. I know if somebody needs money from me and I lend it to them and they can't pay it back, they're not going to see me anymore. 
and that relationship is gone. And they're going to feel guilty for the rest of their lives. And every time they run into me in grocery store, they're going to hide. And it's going to be awkward. It's not worth it. You decide what, how much money you want to keep in your pocket. What's it worth to you to lose that relationship? It's not worth 50 bucks. You see, see how I think this all works together? We should value the relationship above the amount of money you're willing to give. And if it's beyond that, then just don't give it. God wants us to be kind, even to ungrateful and wicked people, just like he is. John said, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So how do we treat mean people? What do we do after we give them flowers and they throw them in the garbage? And we wash cars and do dishes and they won't even look us in the eye and we hate coming into our own house. What do we do? Fortunately, that other clip that Jim has for us might give us a little guidance. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? That's a good question. Dad, that is not what I'm doing. Is it? No. Dad, that is not what this is about. Son, you just asked me. How can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is, you can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. I couldn't truly love your mother until I understood what love really was. It's not because I get some reward out of it. I've now made a decision to love your mother whether she deserves it or not. Son, God loves you even though you don't deserve it. Even though you've rejected him. Spat in his face. God sent Jesus to die on the cross and take the punishment for your sin. Because he loves you. The cross was offensive to me until I came to it. But when I did, Jesus Christ changed my life. That's when I truly began to love your mom. How am I supposed to show love to... Thank you. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That line, you can't give to her what you don't have, really struck me. Because even though this man's father followed Jesus, he himself did not. And he confided, he said, hey, I had the same problem with your mom till I learned that I'm going to love her whether she deserves it or not. It's not about us. It's always about the other person. And I'm going to tell you, I am also on a love quest, a love journey. I made this commitment several years ago that I'm going to try to be more and more like Jesus and love people more and more. I already told you, I'm not there, and I'm not beating myself up for not being there, but I'm committed to, to heading there. And I'm hoping that you'll do the same. 
Uh, it's the same with our senior staff here at Book of Life. They're on that journey too. I've seen it in them. I've seen them bend over backwards time and time and time again for people. Ungrateful, unkind, difficult people time and time again. I love serving with these men. So what I'd like you to do is join us on that journey. That's it. Don't know where you're at. Maybe you're sub-basement too. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you'll join us in trying to do exactly what God told us we're supposed to be doing. Loving people, not on paper, but for real. Even when it hurts, which it will. This is Communion Sunday for us. This is the Sunday where we tell Jesus by eating a little bread and drinking a little grape juice, that we remember what he did for us and we thank him for it. That's love. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. That's love. And we thank him for it. But we thank him by trying to emulate it. There's also a love box up front here, and there's some in the aisles here. Once a month, I also encourage you to dig a little deeper and donate to those in need in our congregation. We usually do that on Communion Sunday. Uh, sometimes people need help. They're in a bad place, and we try to help our community here at Book of Life Community Church. Well, if you're new to us, the way we do communion, uh, we don't bring it to you. You come up and serve yourself. I do ask you, though, though to recognize the, the limitations, the stipulations, and the meaning for communion. It's our way of thanking Jesus for what he's done for us to remember so that we'll never forget until he returns. But it's fully and completely inappropriate if there's a certain sin in your life that you're embracing and not willing to let go, it's not right to come up and thank him for dying for your sins. It's an insult. It's a, it's a mockery of what he's done. So I encourage you to examine your hearts. And if you're in a place right now where you don't think you can take communion, take a couple minutes to pray. Ask God to forgive you, repent, pledge to start fresh, and then come up and take communion. The other stipulation is you, you must be a committed follower of Jesus. You must have made the decision to turn from your sins, believing in Jesus and following him. If you haven't done that, you can make that decision now. Um, and afterwards, after communion, we're going to have some people in the prayer room who would also like to pray with you. In fact, let me ask our prayer warriors to go into the prayer room now in case some people want to have a communion after prayer. And the reason we let you serve yourself is so you can come up when it feels right for you to come up or not come up, and nobody has to look at you, hey, are you going up, you're not going up. It's not about that. It's just about you and God. So if and when you feel ready to come up and take communion, please do that. And a uh, brief word to the men in the lobby, uh, to the ushers, if you guys can hear me. If you want to come in, and talk to whoever prepared communion to take a plate out there. That might work too. Okay? So God bless. Uh, give you a few minutes for pri uh, private prayer and communion. And then we'll come up and dis dismiss you afterwards. Well, this love thing. A lot of angles to it. But I'd like to give you something to do this week. Maybe this month. There are many people who come into Book of Life Community Church because we're people. You know, we're unemployed, we're struggling with cancer, our relationships are broken, our hearts are broken. It's all around you. Look around, pray for somebody. That's what I'm going to ask you to do this month. Just pray for somebody. 
somebody you don't normally pray for, maybe somebody you only pray for when you think about it. Don't do it when you think about it. Put it right where you wake up every morning so you don't forget. Prayer is for real. God listens and he wants us to pray. And when we think about people that often and our hearts go out to them, our prayers become much more powerful and we grow in love. We grow in love ourselves and for them. So pray for somebody at Book of Life this morning. If you're kind of a private person and you don't know anybody, maybe send me an email and I'll give you a pray for so-and-so they're struggling with a such-and-such. Maybe I won't give you their name for their privacy's sake, but I'll let you pray for somebody. There's plenty of prayers that need to happen around here. So, uh, again, the, the prayer room's available if you want to pray for somebody or with somebody now. Wednesday night, we do get together in our small groups and have dinner together, grow closer to one another. We're having a very good time, and I'm hoping you will join us. I hate to say goodbye, because I hate the ending part of services. But God bless you. Have a great week, and hopefully I'll see you Wednesday night. Bye, everybody.